we don't put ourselves in your shoes. I always take it from a, I feel like this is the best way to build this out. But if I was a sales rep, how would they feel with this process? Because I could think it's the best thing in the world, but I want user adoption. And I think that's a huge part of RevOps and Salesforce. If you don't get that user adoption within the first one to three weeks, you're really going to lose your audience and you might not be able to adopt that. And it could be a waste of money. And most importantly, the C-level executives always like some ROI. So what better way to do it than, than show it that way? This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today we're talking with Peter Charshafian, who is a senior sales excellence manager at Global Web Index. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tom. Much appreciated. Now we have had another GWI sales legend on the show before, Kevin Mulrain, of course. It was a great interview, so I know that this one is going to be just as good, if not better. Kevin set the bar pretty high. I'll, I'll try to reach <laughs> it, if not surpass it. So let, let's kick off with a question I love asking, and it's about the transition from sales to sales ops, because you did this, I think it was a while back in a previous role. I want to ask, what, what was the motivation uh, for doing that? And what was like the trigger for, for you making the switch? Absolutely. So I got into the SaaS world about six years ago. Like many other sales ops people, I started as an SDR, BDR. I was cold calling, doing the whole nine yards. And sure enough, our sales force was maintained by a marketing person who really just kind of was getting it through the motions as we were early on in the company. He left the business and we had nobody to maintain Salesforce. So being the person that I am, I was always able to get to my manager and say, I made 100 calls, I made, booked 10 demos, had this many connects. So the analytics person in me always loved that. And that's what I benefited from in the SDR role. And in turn, they're like, hey, you, do you want to try a hybrid role of doing SDR and reporting in Salesforce? And that kind of developed the love in Salesforce. Because um, I always want to know how things work. So as somebody inputting data in Salesforce, I want to know how it worked and then how it rolled up to the higher ups. And sure enough, after six months, I said, I love Salesforce. Can I get out of this SDR role? and do this full time. And sure enough, typical startup, you're able to kind of move and turn a job into a, a love, really. So that's kind of how I started. I see this time and time again. And it's, it's like there's somebody for some reason gets into sales. They're normally pretty good at it. But then there's this analytical passion or like this engineering part of the brain 
and they naturally get sucked into sales ops. It's just like a common path. So that makes total sense that, that you did, did it that way. My other question, and this is probably about labels, is this is the second interview we're actually doing today where the person we're interviewing has sales excellence in the name as opposed to sales operations. Is there a difference? Is there something new happening in the market that I'm missing? Not necessarily. I think it all falls into that revenue operations world for sure. But I think excellence is a great way to put it because there's not only just Salesforce. There's a ton of sales tools that people use, whether it be SalesLoft, HubSpot, uh, Marketo, things like that. It's really not just Salesforce, but, but because Salesforce can tie into all those tools, even a mixed panel, a product tool like that. We're trying to create efficiencies within the company. And I always joke that my 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 customers are my internal users. So I need to make sure that we're building out these tools and integrating them into something central like Salesforce, where they can be more efficient and you know have have an ability to close deals quicker and quicker and be more efficient. So sales excellence is a great way to put it because in our team at Global Web Index, we have a number of people which include sales trainers, sales managers, solutions engineers, things like that. So we're kind of all now being housed on inside of one bubble, which is a nice way to put it. I love the analogy of your users, e.g. the salespeople or CS people also are your customers. This is such a great way to think, I believe. Um, let's just dig into that a little bit more. You said there's a whole plethora of sales tools you're using. And so let's look at GWI right now. Could you give us a brief overview of the sales tech stack? Sure. Yeah, we have something like uh, we have sales LinkedIn Sales Navigator for our prospecting tools. Um, we have Zoom Info. We have Sales Loft for cadences. So for our SDRs and BDRs, they use Sales Loft to reach out to people. And then in terms of product solutions, for we have CS. So we have Hub. Uh, sorry, Mixed Panel that we pull into Salesforce as well. So. The way we look at Salesforce is we know everybody in the business is going to touch it, whether it be finance, marketing, customer success, all the way from the top down to the bottom up. And we need to make it work where we understand the data and can make executive decisions for the business and say, hey, we noticed something here, a trend. Let's take that analysis and turn that into a business decision that not only fixes the moment, but almost future-proofs it. Because I think that's always the one thing that a Salesforce admin folks walk into, you're not going to walk in more often than not into a clean Salesforce org. You're going to walk into something that's 5, 10, 15 years old, and it's never going to be clean. But you want to at least from the moment you start to future-proof future proof the solution as best as you can moving forward. And now I don't want to put you on the spot here too much, Peter, but when you joined Global Web Web Index, how clean was the Salesforce index? Uh, it, was, instance. it was not clean at all. I will say I've been at Global One Index for about three years now, and we're still cleaning things up. But it took about 18 months to create that foundation where we were able to put a line in the sand and say, hey, on January 1st, 2020, we trust the data moving forward. So it's kind of one of those things where it's always an iterative process. But at the same time, you have to be able to say, I trust the data from here moving forward. So that's the kind of way we look at it. But it was about 10 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, mean, I get a good feeling when I like format a spreadsheet and I know the data's in there and it looks nice. I bet the feeling you got on the 1st of January 2020 when it was all, everything was in Salesforce must have been an amazing feeling. And I bet only the Salesforce people or the Salesforce admins listening can really understand that. Yeah. So moving on, can, I, can we talk about 2021 so far? What has been the focus for the Salesforce team at uh, GWI? So I think one of the most important things that we're integrating at GWI is two things. We're refining how we send out contracts in Salesforce, and then in turn, how we pay out commissions in Salesforce. And using Salesforce as the main source of truth to pay out commission. Because like I mentioned before, we touch so many departments, but I would say the key department that we leverage on a day-to-day basis, and it's different for each company, is finance. So if we have all this data in Salesforce, we want to make sure that the contracts are being sent out correctly. They have the right contract numbers and things like that, where it creates efficiency for the sales reps to say, I can just click one button in Salesforce, it generates the contract, it goes to the right person. We use DocuSign and sure enough, you know, 90% of our contracts get sent out through Salesforce. And then on the flip side, sales reps close deals. They want to make sure that they pay, get paid correctly. So instead of managing commissions in an offline Excel doc and then kind of comparing it to Salesforce, why not use Salesforce data to our advantage? So we brought on a tool most recently called Spiff, and we're in the process of building out the integration between Spiff and Salesforce so we can, again, more efficiently create our commission slips, run the checks all through Spiff with the Salesforce data that the sales reps themselves have put into Salesforce. So it gives them more of a sense of everybody needs to, you know, feel like Salesforce is a tool that helps them. So if you put in the data right, we'll have less less issues down the road. There's a couple of things I really liked about what you just said. Um, ever since we started this show, there's always I always ask the data quality question um, about Salesforce, and almost unanimously, every Salesforce person on the show says it's a challenge. And so here we have kind of a, a big solution to part of the problem, which is getting Salesforce users, easy salespeople, sorry, to actually put the data in. And here, if you're running all commission calculations through Salesforce, then obviously that's the that's beautiful. And so it's almost like the secret to getting salespeople to use Salesforce. Anyway, my next question is, do you think in, sales, in the world of sales ops, there is a worse thing you can do than getting a commission calculation wrong? Nope. Not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, um, it's about rewarding the people for the job that they're doing. And if it takes six, 12 months to close a deal or 90 days to close a deal, you want to reward them for the hard work that they're doing and know that they can trust you, that it's set up in a way where if we ask them to put in data, that it's being analyzed in the right way and we're setting them up for success. And I think the most important thing is creating those relationships with those sales reps and not feeling like uh, you're a robot in the sense that we're just here to set up the tool. We don't put ourselves in your shoes. I always take it from a, I feel like this is the best way to build this out. But if I was a sales rep, how would they feel with this process? Because I could think it's the best thing in the world, but I want user adoption. And I think that's a huge part of RevOps and Salesforce, if you don't get that user adoption within the first one to three weeks, you're really going to lose your audience and you might not you know, be able to adopt that. And it could be a waste of money. And 
most importantly, the C-level executives always like some ROI. So what better way to do it than, than show it that way? For sure. Can we talk about the forecasting process uh, at GWI? How, like, what is the process and, and what is your or the sales ops function's role in the process? Yeah. So in terms of forecasting, that's another thing. Again, like I mentioned, the line in the sand being the data quality from Jan 1, 2020. We've now kind of leveraged Salesforce and the stages and the probabilities to do weighted and unweighted forecasts. So the best thing about what we've done is we've created gold standard dashboards. Our company is over 300 people. And in terms of Salesforce users, we have 150. Of that subset, there's 80 people that touch sales. So we have nine line managers, two general managers and CROs in the US and the UK. And then that all rolls up into our board and our executive team. So we've created gold standard dashboards where if you're a mid-market manager in the US, you're looking at a same dashboard in terms of the setup that our CEO would be looking at. So when you're saying, hey, this is my forecast for US mid-market, it's the same setup that the, the CEO would be seeing for the entire business. And one thing that I can kind of attest to in weighted forecasting and using probabilities and stages to the advantage is that in the past three quarters, we've been able to get within 5% of our forecast pre-quarter versus the end quarter. So 5% is our kind of line in the sand too. So we're really proud of that to be able to say, hey, we're going to hit this number and come within 5% three months before it even closes. Yeah, I love the idea of having a gold standard. Um, and it must make the whole... Like once you have the standard dashboard confirmed, and I bet Alex is going to have some great questions about this. Once you have the standard dashboard confirmed, it's then much easier going forward to maintain that and make sure it's accurate if it's the same for uh, completely up and down the chain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing too, again, knowing your audience is that I built out the dashboards and my mindset and the scope of work that we got from different people. But at the same time, if a manager wants to see a little bit different bits of information, they can always add to that and they can always work through through me. So it's not like we're setting this in stone and you can't touch it. We understand that people look for different metrics, but we want them to know, hey, if you're presenting in a board meeting or a, presenting a deck, these are the metrics we we follow. And we would want you to be able to speak to um, outside of speaking to your reps. Awesome. All right. And final question from me. Who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? And it can't be Kevin. Oof. Um, there's a person that I connected with, um, through my current GM, Carrie, um, her name is Abby Euler. She works at IBM. I was able to luckily speak to her, um, during the pandemic, uh, about six months ago. And I think just the mindset of working for a company like IBM and being an operations person, there's so many different factors that play a role in your job because you're going to get pulled in different directions based on different people's wants and needs. But I think her mindset of how she's been successful at IBM has been really impressive. And I'd love to take her to lunch for sure. Awesome. I'm now going to hand over to Alex, who's going to jump on with some more sales or specific questions. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Peter. Yes, fascinating. I'll try and get through everything I want to ask um, quickly. So the first thing was interesting, you talked about cleaning up the data in Salesforce. Um, and I like the way you talked about just getting to a foundation. It's never going to be perfect, just get to a foundation. And for you, you said that a foundation was 
where you could trust the data in in the org. Um, what what are your tips? How do you get to that sort of stake in the ground moment where you say, look, we've got everything sorted? What are some of the big hurdles? I think first and foremost is you have to understand how the business analyzes the data. What are the key metrics that they're looking to understand? We were very opportunity-centric in terms of being able to understand the data. So if we could update and improve the process as it relates to inputting opportunity data, that was my first win. We understand that leads and accounts and contacts are definitely really important objects from the top of the funnel. But you need to understand the business, what they look for, and then from a standpoint of, you know, what are what are most important to the business and how can we do quick wins? Because I think the biggest thing is it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be quick and fixed in one month. It's a it's a process. So just understanding the business and its needs is really important right off the get go. Great. Thank you. That's that's really helpful. And then because you said this was I think they came in the other order, but I think then this was you said you needed this so that the the executives could make their decisions from the data they were seeing in Salesforce, which obviously a nice important <laughs> position to get to. Um and then talk to us about trying to future proof as, as you go. So is that sort of the, that's the driving force as you, you said you're picking the KKPIs, making sure not only can you see them, but they're accurately reflecting what's going on. And then can you speak a bit more to the future proofing? Yeah. And I, I think the big thing there is getting the full scope of work. Um, usually, typically, people come and say, this is what's wrong with Salesforce. And they say, you know, can you fix this? And they just expect you to fully understand the ask. So one thing I mentioned, Abby, one big thing that she mentioned to me is understand the context. So if you ask me, hey, fix this, I would in turn ask you, what's what's the real reason why you're asking for this fix? What's the context behind it? I'm struggling to present to my manager. Great. Now we understand it and we can do a full scope of work, whether it be 30, 60, 90 minutes. That will help future-proof things and understanding, all right, here's your ask. It's going to fix you in the moment. But what are we going to do to say, this doesn't happen again? Or why are we doing this? Because priorities change. I can fix somebody for some fix something for somebody that helps them now, but on the priority list, does it impact the business moving forward? Oh, thanks. That's really helpful. I often think of those things in terms of chores. I I hate doing the chores that always come back because there's no fe- feeling of satisfaction. But if it's a, a home improvement or something, and you've, you've done something and you made a difference, like and it feels the same way we're building. Do you just go and put out all the little fires and Salesforce fix all the little problems? Or do you dig under the skin, find the actual problems and you know, go and fix that? And, uh, yeah, it's funny you say that. I have a, a quote or a question to myself on my laptop right above my webcam. It says, what should I not do today? So I think of it in that sense of everybody's going to need something. You could wake up and get 50 Slack messages, but prioritize it, set expectations. What should you not do today is more important than what you should do today because you could want to do a million things, but what's most important for you in the moment? That's, that's great. I love that. Um, and then, as Tom said, fascinated about your gold standard dashboards. Most of my, my time spent doing sort of reporting uh, for customers. Um, so I'd love to hear a bit about how you, you did that. I suppose just some context. My, my thinking often with, with reporting when we roll things out is I try and I start, I try and start with some insights. So just deliver general insights. So you, you they're not necessarily things that people are going to look at on a regular basis, but we're delivering some insight into the business or into a certain area. 
And then from there, we roll down, well, now let's let's sort of sort out for, for management. Because again, those, those, those KPIs tend to filter up to the top. And then it's so, and they, they want more of that high level view. And then the next level sort of doubt, well, as it goes down to the to the users at the, at the coal face, then it's more about, about what, what's actionable. What, what can I, how can I see this data and you know, make, a, make a change? So in my mind, there's a sort of a, a stratified way of doing reporting. Um, but I'd love to hear your perspective from this kind of gold standard idea and, and, and how you see that unified sense of reporting, because I'm, I'm sure I've got something to learn there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of what I mentioned to Tom earlier. Um, you want to be able to speak the same language. Basically, you have so many users in Salesforce and different managers with different management styles. So like I mentioned, um, the dashboard that I create for them might not hit on all 10 of their checklist items. It might just hit on 8 of the 10. So we just want to be able to speak the same language where we're all in a meeting and if somebody asks about weighted forecast for our subscription product or our project product, they understand the language that we're speaking and they're able to have one-on-ones with their reps and say, all right, let me click into this tile within this dashboard and then analyze how many deals are in stage confirmed pending, how many deals are in proposal and have these conversations where you can go bird's eye or drill right down into something specifically. So. Just again, having having that be something that everybody's speaking the same language is really what's what triggers and helps people better understand the data. Thanks, that, that's helpful. So, I, in, in my mind, I'm thinking almost you know they might not all be exactly the same, but the the areas are the same. We have an area that's exactly to do it. You know, say early funnel, something some bits on early funnel, some bits here, whatever it might be, and and these are the key metrics across the business. Therefore, these are always what we're all concerned about in our different areas. And then the detail underneath may may differ potentially, but the concepts all the same. So indeed, everyone should be able to answer the question about the core business KPIs for at least their unit. Otherwise, you're not all aligned. Absolutely, I like that. I like that a lot. I'll have I'll have to think some more on that. But thank you. That's been really helpful. And um, yep. yeah, no, really appreciate that um, that insight. So thanks, Tommy. I'm going to jump back on. Thanks. All right, Peter. So for me, the the core thing here is. Your, you, I think you see yourself almost as a product manager, and your job is to get the sales reps to use the stuff. And you do that not by saying here are the rules; it's by incentivizing them. E.g., the the beautiful I'm actually going to call this episode the secret to uh, increasing Salesforce usage um, is by one example is by putting the commission calculation in Salesforce so they to get paid they they know they have to put the commission in. And so. That's just one example, I think, of how you see yourself. Would you agree with that analysis, by the way? Absolutely, 100%. I think you wear, I think I've listened to many of the podcasts before. We wear many hats in RevOps or sales excellence. But again, what is the key thing that connects the person to using the tool? And whether it be Salesforce or a different tool, you, you, want, to have, you want to have them understand the value of the tool and how it's benefiting them and understanding that you know, we're here for them. And as long as they are understanding of the position we're in, where we need to speak to the entire business, I think that's where you get that that connection and that relationship built, and it, it strengthens everything else in the company. Totally agree. So with that, Peter, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being so generous with, with your time and sales ops wisdom. It's been great having you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks, Alex. Thank 
thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. Thank you.